0: Hi, I'm Matt Kierkegaard and welcome to another in our special editions of Radio Brews News recorded live at the recent BrewCon 19. Thanks to Bintani, we were able to take Radio Brews News to BrewCon and capture a little of what was on offer to those who were lucky enough to get to Australian Craft Brewing's annual conference and trade show. In this episode, we chat with intellectual property lawyer James Omond from Omond & Co., Whilst it wasn't on the Brewcon program during Brewcon, James had an article published in the Fairfax Papers looking at talks that have started with the European Union over the use of geographical indicators. I wanted to sit down and find out a little bit more about this and how it could affect brewers and whether things such as locally produced Munich Hellas will have to change its name to Australian sparkling lager. As craft beer matures, these are always interesting topics and James is an expert on the subject. Enjoy the conversation. James O'Mond, Bruce News uh, resident legal uh, expert. Uh, welcome to Beer is a
1: Conversation. Thanks very much, Matt. Pleasure to be here in person. In, in per- it and having a beer. Pete
0: and I didn't even get to have a beer when we recorded this morning. Uh, we, we had a coffee. It was 7 o'clock in the morning, far too indecent a time yes, to uh, be drinking beer.
1: Well, we won't disclose what time we're having the beer, but that's fine. It's it's Two o'clock is perfectly but respectable. Yes. well over the yard arm somewhere. And
0: it's been a long day, but um, James Amond, uh you, we were at Brewcon um, 2019, but this morning uh, you had an article in the uh, Fairfax Media um, and the uh, the Age specifically looking at uh, some of the legal issues around geographic uh, naming um, and provenance.
1: Yes, yes. This is a hobby horse of mine going back quite some time. I actually did my is that an Australian
0: sparkling hobby horse? (laughs) Uh,
1: Well, it is now. Yes, (laughs) as opposed to a méthode champenoise (laughs) hobby horse. Now, I did my uh, master's thesis in this area way back in the the nineties, and so you know I've been following it pretty closely with what happened with the wine industry, Um, and now. The, uh, the negotiations with the EU have expanded to uh, foodstuffs and spirits, they call it. Um, so you know, for people who are looking at that, they might initially go, well, that's OK, beer's not covered because it's only foodstuffs and spirits. But Beer is a food. Beer is a food, that's right. So um, there's uh, six um, names that they're seeking to protect under geographic status for beers. So talk
0: talk to me about what the wine industry – I, I guess the most famous example is we used to talk about anything sparkling, fizzy wine as champagne, and we can't – it's now Australian sparkling.
1: Yes, that's right. So um, back in about 1994, um, we had the, the, the negotiations with the EU, and they provided – I think it was about 3,000 names that they wanted protected um, – and of those, we agreed to two thousand nine hundred and eighty-eight um, without really blinking. And there was. And what a,
0: sort of things were they?
1: Ah, uh, not of, all of them. <laughs> well, no. Uh, things like Wolf, um, as a tiny German um, sort of appellation, and. Yeah, some of these some of the you know, the, the Germans and the and the Italians in particular, it, it was some of the some of the appellations were the size of someone's backyard, but it had been traditionally known by this name. So um those sorts of things weren't, you know, a, a major issue from from a commercial perspective from Australia. The, so would that have affected why Wolf Blast, for example? Yes, well the okay. reason why that sprung to mind was that um that did affect Wolf Blast because the way it was initially set up, any use of a name um, that was on the, the list of prohibited names couldn't be used. So we then needed to work some way of where there was a, a, an incidental usage or where it was used as part of something broader, it could still be used. Okay.
0: So what are they pushing? So they're, they're it's an exploratory it, exploratory at the moment?
1: Uh it's probably moved beyond exploratory. It's still, um, I mean, I'm not, uh, I'm not on the inside uh, with the the negotiations and the you know this is it's it's negotiating an international treaty or variations to an international treaty. So, what's happened is the the Europeans have given us their their list of demands, if you like, and the Australian government have publicised this and are seeking um, input from interested parties
0: and the OBA wrote to members recently so what what's your concern in terms of beer? What sort of things could be affected? Could we not be calling our Kolsch kolch
1: at the moment um there's there's probably only three um, three names that are that are sort of have big significance, and one of them is is only significant to uh c u b if you like or a b i because it's the um um so we, we, which they've been fighting um, between Budweiser and, and Budvar for, for a long time. Um, and even though Budweiser or Budweiser, however you want to pronounce it, looks and, and is pronounced nothing like that name, um, because when one of these changes is brought in, there's, it extends to translations and to names which are, are similar. Um, they will have concerns about whether this is a thin end of the wedge. But coming back to the rest of the industry,
0: but just just before we move on, but that, that's been a constant battle for some time about because my understanding is that the Budweiser brand predates the Budjaviki brand. It was named after you know, Pilsner is a beer from Pilsen, and the Budweiser was named with that appellation. But it was it when they registered that trademark, it wasn't competing with anything else.
1: Well, the issue there comes back to a a fairly complex one of what has precedence out of trademark registration and geographical indication protection. And that really depends on which part of the world you're in. So in the old world, you generally find that if a name is protected as a geographic indication, it trumps a trademark registration. The the new world, if you like, uh, trademark rights will generally have precedence. Right. uh, And... To, to to straddle that divide in some jurisdictions you find that when uh, geographic names are given protection there's a, a, a grandfathering if you like uh, of names which are already in existence.
0: So if they're successful in registering that name or getting world is it the World Trade Organization that protects all of this or?
1: No this is this is a a bilateral treaty, so it would just be Australia changing their laws to protect the names that are agreed on with the Europeans.
0: Right. okay. So how is uh, Budvar then affected given that it's really uh, Budweiser is an American brand, uh, Budvar is the Czech name. How would Australia get caught up in that particular one?
1: Uh, well, the danger is that if that name is protected in Australia, and that trumps trademark registration if it's not grandfathered. That the Otherwise,
0: wise it couldn't be sold in Australia. Yes, right. Okay. What? Whether whether that upsets too many of our listeners, I, I well, don't know. And, and but I what can is say that? Cascading lawyers on higher pay <laughs> grades than me will be uh,
1: will be dealing with that, no doubt. Um,
0: so what is the concern for, then, the, the, the flow-on for Australian brewers, though? Um, because we currently see Berliner Weiss is a style that is uh, gra- growing in cachet. Um, Bavarian, or like a, a, a Munich Helles, um, for example. Um, Kolsch, uh, a German styles that we see just very casually referred to. Are they
1: likely to be caught up in this? As of uh, today, with the list that the Europeans have provided, um, certainly, certainly, anything with the word Munich in would be uh, you wouldn't be able to use it if Australia agrees to the list that's been provided. And and when I said there was three issues, one was the uh, the Budvar, uh, the next two were Munich and um, Bayerisches, so uh, you know Bavaria. Yep. Um, so they they've been applied for. Um, in conjunction with the word beer, B-I-E-R, um, and the the Europeans aren't claiming that that word beer is is anything other than um, a purely descriptive term. But the danger is that... Um, well, so to start with, Munich and um, Bavaria or Baryshire would be a problem. The uh, terms like um, Pilsner, I think longer term... Would, would also fall under this because it is it is very much a derivation of a geographic term. Um, Kolsch, similarly, because it comes from Köln. Um So those those two are... Um, I'm surprised that they're not on the list, to be honest. Um, maybe they just don't have good local uh, associations lobbying for them um, back in, in Europe.
0: Or this could be the thin edge of the wedge...
1: Well that's the next issue is that if we if we agree to a whole lot of these terms that are being sought to have protected, does that then provide um, an entree for the next round of negotiation where it's either um, more geographic names like um, Kirsch or names that are traditionally associated with a particular um, place in Europe and uh, at the moment things uh, some other foods like um, brie and prosciutto are on the list but as brie de meaux and prosciutto di Parma, where the 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 name brie and the name prosciutto is not being sought to be protected but the geographic element that goes with it is but the danger um longer term is is to be seen from the prosecco example so um, Prosecco has for generations been a grape variety and in Italy that sort of the two famous ones were and again excuse me slaughtering uh, someone else's <laughs> language um, uh, Prosecco di Treviso and Prosecco di Valdobbiadene and what happened was other countries particularly Australia but also um, in, in the Americas started planting and producing a lot more Prosecco and the Italian producers saw this as as a big threat, and they actually passed legislation in... I'm not sure if it was Italy first, then the EU, or straight to the EU, that said, as of today, Prosecco is no longer a grape variety. You can only use it in conjunction with the traditional geographic name from whence it came. So they changed it to the word glera, which is a really ugly word, a regu- really ugly name. So... um. They tried to get the word Prosecco protected in Australia as a geographic indication um, a couple of years ago and I actually acted for the Winemakers Federation in opposing that and we were successful on the basis that it is and it has always been a grape variety. But it shows you that they can change their legislation and say that a term which until now has been purely descriptive, they say because of its inherent... um, and historic use solely or, or predominantly in a particular area of Europe, people assume that, that that product must come from that place in Europe. So that's the danger with um, with something like um, some of these other uh, beer terms that really have had their origin in a particular place, but it doesn't actually contain the name in it.
0: But isn't like prosciutto, for example... Um is it, it, it it's it's a, an Italian word? Um, is there a harm in Australian uh, cured meat makers not being able to call their um, product prosciutto, even if it harks from that? What's what what's the damage? Why should not Australian producers come up with, you know, uh, something instead of Kolsch or instead of uh, Berliner Weiss or in, instead of some of these things? and let those names stand alone as the Italian version or the German version?
1: There's there's a, I guess there's a, an everyman answer to that and then there's a technical legal answer to that. So the, the everyman answer to that is, um, what do you call it when generations of people have called it, say, Brie, for example, and, and you go, well, I, I want the runny cheese that's yellow on the inside and white on the outside. You know, in the absence of, it's not like you can switch from say burgundy and call it pinot noir because that's the name of the grape variety mm-hmm. there's not an obvious um answer for 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 those names that have just become so um ingrained in in the the vernacular that that, that there's not a australian there's not a not a viable mold.
0: alternative a- australian white mold for for brie
1: yeah it's got a lovely ring to it <laughs> um well, and then so so the the um the, the technical answer is to look in the, the world of trademarks and what happens when a, a name, a trademark, a name that is owned by someone becomes so descriptive that it becomes generic and, and that, that is the name for the product. And what happens there is that the owner of that trademark loses the right to be able to protect it and it becomes open to everyone because they haven't protected it properly to stop it becoming generic. So examples of that are um, uh, canola, canola, Escalator, um, uh, hovercraft, those sorts of things. So it's it's beholden on on the owner of the trademark to protect its use. So um, there's some that have bordered on becoming generic, like windsurfer, for example. Um, everyone thinks or used to think, you know, when they were when they were a thing, that that was the name of of you know whoever made it. But in fact, the generic name was sailboard, and anyone who called it a windsurfer got a very nasty Uh, legal letter Uh, from the lawyers for Windsurfer saying, you know, Windsurfer is a protected registered trademark, Um, because if you allow it to become generic, then it becomes, you know, it enters into the public domain, if you like. And my view is that these names that have been, that we've been allowed to use for 100, 200 years or whatever, um, it's it's too late to close the door and say, oh, actually, we want exclusive rights to those back. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: So, what do brewers need to do? What what's the uh, is it just watch and see, or is there something active that brewers need to be aware of?
1: Uh, I think if anyone's using the word, say Munich or Bavaria, um, and it's a name that they they don't want to give up, then they need to um, get involved in the process and and make submissions to to the government. Um, and you know, it's a matter of uh, googling. EU geographic indications, um, I think it's the, it's DFAT the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade um, to, to, to uh, you know, provide input on that. It, it's not clear yet whether there'll be uh, grandfathering. so if you're already using it you can keep using it. Um, or if you've got a trademark registered that incorporates it, you know, it's sometimes they, they look at that as, the, as as proof if you like of, of when you'd been using it. Um, probably also in terms of adopting names going forward, um, just being careful. I mean, do you want to use, you know, Berliner Weiser um, as as a descriptor if that if that might then have to come off the label down the mm-hmm. track?
0: Okay, so um, that's a good point. So you don't want to step deeply entrench something in your brand if it may be something that's problematic. Yes. down down the track. So maybe call it a Brisbane Weiser yeah, it's got a lovely ring to it,
1: <laughs>
0: and Melbourne Hills rather than Munich Hills. So, yes. So then,
1: well then the issue would be if your brewery's not in Melbourne, you know, how I mean, would that? Go? I was talking about a Melbourne yeah. brewery, yeah. yeah.
0: Obviously, so. so, okay. So, so that's uh, geographical indicators. How about uh, how are things looking in the world of? Uh, pop culture references and things like that. Uh, have you got any updates on uh, on, on what's going there? Are, are, are brewers still skirting a little a bit close, sailing close to the wind?
1: I think they are. Yes, uh, there's been there's been you know some interesting discussions at some of the the sessions at ProCon over the last couple of days. And um, so you you were you were moderating the the panel Yesterday with Sam, Sam Amble,
0: um, talking about you know we we. He, was pulled up by ABAC, but he was worried about getting a cease and desist, des- desist from Disney, and his strategy was, "Oh well, you know, we'll, we'll just sort of stop it when they complain." Yeah. Um, is from from a legal point of view, is that a good strategy?
1: Oh, uh, is it easier my, just to apologise with my legal and ask hat permission? on? I'd say it's a bad strategy. If uh, if the microphone wasn't here, um, I'd say it's a it's a valid commercial strategy because um, relying on them not suing for past, um, past profits, uh, it, it does give you a, a leg up if the, if the, um, the, the reference gives you uh, traction in the market, gets, your, um, gets your, your product shared on social media. I mean, a, a lot of you know, pretty respected guys are saying they won't do that anymore. Um, because they see it as a short-term hit, but it, it undermines the ability to to build a longer-term brand, and and you're always looking over your shoulder, you know, sort of like the bank robber who got away with it, but mm. you know is too scared to spend any of the money um, because it'll bring attention to them. Um, interesting, it's not just beer doing it. I was advising last week on a um, an in, for an investor in a, um, a health food product and he said that they had famous people's pictures on all of these products and uh he said you know what do you think about that i said that's a really bad idea and he said yeah i thought so he said we we, if he invests they won't be doing that anymore Mm -hmm. um so it it's it it was interesting to hear that it's not just you know within the the craft beer world that that people are looking at doing that and but that's a good point if
0: you know i I guess any brewery that is looking at growing a brand with potentially a view to selling at, at some stage if your IP if your um, value is tied up in something that is inherently problematic, that's the first thing that a due diligence process would be looking at, isn't it? you know what yes. It, are we as the purchaser willing to assume that risk that we won't be sued or does that devalue brand because so much of it is tied up in a product that is problematic?
1: It, it certainly will uh, have two effects. One, it'll it'll depress the price that you can sell for and the second thing is it might even scare some people away. Um, and it's so it's, it's not just the images that you're using on the, the labels, for example, but also... Uh, do you own the you know the rights to the your recipes, for example? Mm-hmm. You know if it's being made um, under contract, have you got something in writing with the the contract um, brewer? Uh, I mean, you might have gone to them and said, okay, you know, I want to to make a you know a raspberry Berliner Weiser. Um Here are my reference products. Um, you know, I want this particular. I want. I want you to use this particular type um, strain of yeast at this particular type of malt. All of this sort of thing. So you've provided all of that input, but you don't actually own what they've come up with yep. unless you've actually got something in writing um, that makes it clear that if you have a falling out with that that contract producer or you go and set up your own brewery, the ability to be able to take that recipe. Um, can be severely compromised. Okay.
0: The other thing that Sam, and and if you weren't at the panel, it may be a little bit um, out of your reference, but Sam was talking about um, with things like uh, IP protection, that why bother going to the trouble of protecting my IP, given that we've seen a number of big cases of where people have even protected their IP being challenged anyway. And so we can save ourselves the upfront cost because if we're going to get sued or if there's going to be a, a legal action, there's going to be legal action anyway from, I guess your answer is a little bit predictable well, being somebody in, again, in the legal industry. Well, it
1: depends on which hat I've got on. As, as an IP lawyer, um, I would get crucified and run out of town if I didn't say, that's a really bad idea, you should spend the money on protecting it. But from a commercial perspective, uh, you've got so many mouths to feed when you're starting out. Um that you know paying for for lawyers and and for trademark attorneys is 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 almost a discretionary spend i mean it shouldn't be because you think if you think about how much money you spend on you know graphic designers if you if you go externally and you're not lucky enough that one of your founding partners can do all that work in-house uh it's you're spending a lot of money and then to to not be able to either continue to use it or to have to rebadge. It, that, that's probably the more of a point is because trademarks have, they, they say it's a shield and sword. So it's a sword because you can use it in an aggressive fashion to stop other people from using the name. But it's also a shield to say, well, if you've got that trademark registration, it means someone can't come after you and say, um, hey, you're infringing on my rights because a trademark registration is a defence to... Um, an allegation of trademark infringement, but wasn't
0: that the point Sam was making? Is that even if you've got the trademark, somebody can oppose it or somebody can challenge it, and you still end up with the expense of litigation if you're willing to defend yourself.
1: Yes, yep, yeah, that's a point. And th- the other point is, um, is you've got the registration. Someone else comes out with something, you know, so similar that that you're really pissed off about it. Are you going to spend the money to actually stop them? Um, because that can be another significant expense. But uh, the the question I put back to people when they when they ask this is, if someone else came out with the, a product with the same name, how angry would you be and what would you be prepared to do? Mm. Um, if you say, well, I'd sue them, then you really need to have a trademark registration because the reason... Trademarks came in in the first place was if you don't have it, you have to prove reputation and you have to prove loss. So particularly if you're starting out, um, you're not going to have much of a reputation beyond your your backyard, um, and you're not going to be able to prove loss because you might only be doing you know a tiny production and you're selling it all anyway. So if someone else has come in with the same name and they're selling product elsewhere, you don't have any losses because you're still selling. The same amount of beer, so that's I mean that that's sort of you know going back to the start of the twentieth century when the Trademarks Act came in. That's why they brought it. You know, it was one of the reasons for bringing it in to to get a, around those problems. If you are taking action.
0: James O'Mond, always a great pleasure to to chat about some very, very complex issues, but uh, nonetheless very fascinating as the craft beer industry evolves.
1: Always happy to be here and uh, put my two cents worth in.
0: And thank you for joining us in the uh, Facebook group as well. You're a regular contributor there as well.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, Matt.
0: And that was James O'Mond. Our coverage of BrewCon 19 was made possible by Bentani, who were not only providing brewers with the finest ingredients, they gave us the opportunity to bring you the finest guests live. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brewers News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at bruisenews.com.au.